Welcome to the Born and Raised Audio Experience. Presented by Onyx. Dave, what's your podcast called? Um, Backwoods Destination. Just that's the name of my YouTube channel and my podcast, and I kind of run it together. All right, cool. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate hey, it. Thank you for having me too. How many episodes have you done? Not very many. <laughs> like this is number two. <laughs> number two. Yeah, I'm so. glad I could be part of it. Yeah, I'm really. I'm. I'm glad you could be too. <laughs> like. <laughs> Do you, have some, do you have some like intro music yet or anything like that or nothing too fancy this but I, I guess i could throw some something on this one <laughs> <laughs> spice uh, it up a little bit just so all the listeners know if you hear a little sipping sounds it's because i am going to be drinking a little coffee on the side <laughs> i got my water on tap too <laughs> and uh we're we're sitting here at uh, fraser's bakery in coquille um i love this little place mm-hmm. and this little little secret room here for for audio purposes and so if you hear me ordering some hot sauce or whatever you guys will know yep what's going on <laughs> <laughs> that's right all right go ahead on her david all right well um first off i, I want to thank you again for coming out and and uh, sitting down with me and then also i want to thank you for uh going hunting with me that day um, oh, last year? Yeah, nice. or those multiple days. Like in those couple days, I probably learned more. Um, like I, I could hunt before, mm-hmm. but you were like, it'd be like using a coarse stone on a knife, and then taking and putting it on a fine stone, and really honing that edge in. Oh. Like the information that you gave me, like just just those few days, it was like oh. This is all those videos, but real time that you guys posted over the years. It's like I've watched all those things, but like when you get in person and like experience the things with you guys, mm-hmm. like seeing it real time it made made the difference on like. Yeah, sometimes we wonder about that. You know, like we talk and go over all these strategies and everything but then when we actually hunt with someone who has seen the back end of it Mm -hmm. with the videos and whatnot you're not the first person to mention it like that and i i wonder what it's like okay what's the disconnect it's almost like people don't believe that we're actually doing what we're saying we're doing i believe i feel like we're doing the same thing when we hunt with like when i hunted with you i just do it like yeah, we do in all of our videos. Yeah, so what do you think was the difference? The the difference is is it's it's the finite details that you can't see in the videos. It's the you, when you guys head out after a bugle, mm-hmm. you guys are actually heading out after that bugle. Like I didn't realize how fast you guys moved until. I was oh. right there with you. Like, little things like that. It's like, we heard that bugle up there, and... We didn't going. We didn't watch anything. We, we didn't waste any time. We were just up, we're gone. We're going straight there. Time to move. Yeah. Yeah. And I was talking to a buddy of mine. I'm like, dude, if, if we would have been hunting, like, big open public lands, 
I wouldn't have been able to keep up with you. Like, really, you guys get with it, and like, I I know a lot of that comes with with like your passion to hunt elk and stuff, but like I realized I was like I'm out of shape. <laughs> like I'm I'm a skinny guy, and you know it's easy I can get around, but I just I, I used to leisurely go about it you know just ease along and i think i was telling you about that before you came up i was just um up there on my family's place i was just tickling the edges of where the elk were living yeah and you looked right at me and i I remember it and i almost i got a little bit of a little bit of uh it hurt a little bit when you said it but you're like oh so you're just not committing to the to the hunt and i'm like oh that's that's my problem. I'm not willing to just dive in there. Oh, I didn't mean to offend you. <laughs> well, I, I got a, I, it, was, it was a reality check for me. It was like you know, I, I need to, I need to go in there, and not be so. There's only one way to learn. You got to go in there and do it. Yeah, that's the. That's one of our biggest strengths and biggest weaknesses, and is the fact that. Uh, we always describe ourselves as you know we just come in like a wrecking ball Mm -hmm. and it's either sink or swim it's going to work or it's absolutely going to fail and um, that has been a huge success for us is oftentimes we're doing an evening hunt when I was with you we were on an evening hunt and you're literally not only chasing an elk but you're also chasing daylight so you have a finite amount of time to get this job done Mm -hmm. and it's usually like two hours in the evening so yeah for the average person it's you got you get off work and you've got till dark yeah and sometimes you want to quit before dark or before it gets too late because you don't want to be tracking something in the dark that's what headlamps are for there's that too (laughs) so um so yeah when when we hear a bugle um it's that's just the very very start of the hunt there's a lot left to do and mm-hmm. and a lot of times that a lot left to do is uncomfortable it's oh dang it he's steep down in the bottom of this thing yeah. he's not in the bottom he's in the bottom and up the other side and um it can be like where you you can sit there and be like man i bet he'll be there tomorrow or you could say guess what i have two hours of daylight i know for a fact if I grab my stuff and I haul ass, I can get there in an hour. Mm-hmm. That gives me an hour to call him in and kill him. That's more than enough time. Oh yeah. Oftentimes it takes twelve minutes. You know. As. So. Yeah. Exactly. Um. So yeah, we get pretty aggressive with it, mm-hmm. uh, to a fault. Like like you were saying, you said if we were on public land, so obviously we were hunting your guys's private land. Right. And um, so we didn't have other hunters to worry about at that mm-hmm. point, um, which is a huge difference. Um, it is. Also, I, I you address have something yeah. that I've been thinking about about that, and a, a lot of my friends, more so jokingly than anything, but they they kind of bag on me a little bit about hunting on my family's property. That oh, you got that that private ranch to hunt on. It's like well, true, and part of the reason why elk do go there is because there's that's the least hunting pressure yeah they're pressured from the outside and they're pressured from they the outside move in. but the thing people don't understand is those elk are coming into our ranch 
educated from other hunters. Like they, they know what an elk call sounds like. It's not in just a cakewalk. It's, oh, yeah. it's, they come in and they know what's up most of the time. I mean, occasionally there's some what we like to call resident bulls around that don't really care. Yeah, well, we're not talking, just because they're on your land doesn't mean they're tame elk. Right, that's something <laughs> I wanted to address is like people that, oh, you're elk. Or, that's, that's just something I wanted to address is they're, they're coming in and they're not just, it's not like walking into wildlife safari and sticking one. It's, you got to work for it. Oh, 100%. I mean, we work pretty hard at it. And, mm-hmm. uh, a couple, we got lucky and we also got unlucky. It was just like, it's elk hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the nice thing is, is you don't have people. But the one thing that you do have to take into consideration is, is that is a piece of land that you can go as you please and mm-hmm. other people can't come on that property. Right. Well, then there's the other part of it where we're so aggressive, where we'll dive into a basin and push elk out of that country for weeks. Yeah. Um, it's public land. They may go to the next drainage. We'll cut them in that drainage. We'll, you're wanting to keep those elk on your place and so you can hunt them again tomorrow, right. right? And so your tactics may have to differ a little bit the, the, than ours. Soften them up a little bit. <laughs> because you want to kind of protect the fact that you're on, they're on your land for mm-hmm. a little bit. Because we all know elk, they're not going to stay on your place. They're, they're going to hit your place and they do like what we call the circuit yeah and they'll be on public sometimes and Mm -hmm. and private sometimes and so um you know you're just playing the game exactly (laughs) so like for those listening that also watch their channel or you guys's channel you've probably seen the listeners probably seen your uh your solo hunt and so in that same herd you know that big bull that we were here in bugle yeah while we were uh, or I guess we didn't hear him while we were quartering your bull out, but um, he was around still. Yep. He was talking. Uh, oh, he was right above us. Yeah. Yeah. I ended up killing that bull. It was a five point? That was five by six. Okay, yeah. I ended up killing that bull, and he was a loud mouth. Yeah, I was chasing him when that spike came in, mm-hmm. and I shot the spike. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> I wish I, wish I would have had a spike to shoot, because that thing had... He was heavy packing them out. <laughs> like I threw one of the ear quarters over my shoulder and down to the pickup we went. Oh, but... he's delicious. I'm going to eat some of him tonight. <laughs> yeah, that's, I'm glad to hear. Oh, man. So uh, I was going to tell you this story, but I'm glad I can tell it on here. But that hunt that I put on that bull. Yep. So I, I went up to that landing where, uh, where we last called from before you took off with your elk. Yep. Just to see if we could get a answer back. Yeah. I went up there, I think, like two or three days later, and I called off that landing, and I heard him, but the wind was screaming up that canyon, mm-hmm. and I couldn't tell where he was, and I couldn't see him out in any of those prairies. Right. So I drove down to um, about where we uh, parked that one day when I was looking for him, and you parked yep. there, and uh, I step out, and get my gear on and I had my door open and the wind caught my door and slammed my door and he bugled at that <laughs> and I was like it's like a classic turkey turkey yeah, gobble exactly I was a like, shot gobble it's like come on this guy must be you really... know that you know he's fired up at that point then yeah I, I wasn't worried about 
much other than getting the wind right and making sure I was far enough up the canyon where I could not have them uh, wind me. And this is where your friends give you the hard time about your elk. Yeah. <laughs> like your elk are bugling when you slam your truck door. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, well, okay, you may have a point there. <laughs> well, I think what he thought it was was just they bugle at sticks breaking. Oh, that's oftentimes how we kill an elk is there's usually three or four of us together hunting mm -hmm. and we don't try to sneak. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually try to make more noise so we sound like a herd. Exactly. And when they hear us breaking limbs and just coming at them, they'll bugle just because they think we're elk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's kind of what I was thinking is like a loud noise. He's like, oh, I'll bugle at that. Mm -hmm. Just let everybody know I'm boss around here. Yeah. And well, I... I bail over the hill because I'm like, he's, it's go time. And I'm kind of mimicking you guys at that point, just like, gung-ho, let's go. Get over there to above where we had that encounter with that six point. Mm -hmm. And I walk up to the top of that and I'm set up calling. And I probably sat there and called for 20 minutes and he's bugling at me and he sounds like he's getting closer but the wind's blowing his sound to me so it sounds like he's coming and then going no, he's and not coming. and he's just sitting still <laughs> yeah i go no no which thank you for giving me that bugle tube by the way you're welcome I, that came in handy mm -hmm. uh anyhow um i'm calling to him calling to him calling to him calling to him and pretty soon i'm like okay he's hanging tight i gotta go to him a little closer so i go up hill cut into the reprod there and i get what i think is about 100 yards away from him mm -hmm. and i'm in the reprod and i get my situation covered wind checked everything and i start bugling again and he's answering back and i'm trying to cow call him in do everything and he's just not moving and i bugle and he lets out this bugle that i've, I've never heard an elk bugle this long before just probably 15 seconds of just continuous bugle and chuckle no chuckle just one solid full lungful hmm. Ton, tons of tone fluctuation basically saying if you want to party come out into the prairie oh and i was like yeah that's what you call a challenge he's yeah. challenge bugling you pretty hard so i start raking this tree because I was like, I, I guess that's, it's time to do something different. Yep. So I start raking this tree and I, I have my back to where the elk is, which was probably not the best idea, but I figured he'd, I'd hear him before he came coming. And I, I rake it on this tree and I turn and I look and the one hole in the reprod, he's staring at me through it. About a, he's still out in the prairie, mm -hmm. but he's looking through the one hole down in there and all he sees is a dark object which is me and my camouflage, mm -hmm. raking on a tree. So he's like, oh, there you are. You're just too chicken to come out and play. So he's just hanging out. And at that point, I was like, all right, I need to stop calling and ease my way up to him. Because he's out in a prairie, and I don't see any cows there. And I'm, I was guessing that they went over the ridge, which they actually had. Mm -hmm. And he was just following the cows slowly behind yep. him, um, putting himself in between the cows and what he thinks is a bull and I ease up there and I find I find myself either I have two options I can try to go through a tree a big bushy prairie tree mm -hmm. or through a poison elk patch or through the oh open. my goodness 
So I chose Poison Oak because there was a deer trail right through the middle of it mm -hmm. that was per pretty open. And I worked my way up there and I found myself right on the edge of this Poison Oak patch. And I can see him. And he's right there at, I'm like, he's gotta be 30 yards. Like the prairie is not wider than 30 yards to the tree line to tree line. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to range, range, range ranging grass and you know how that goes 10 yards 30 yards 10 yards 12 yards you know yeah so pretty soon he swings around and he's facing straight away from me and i'm able to get a range on his butt mm -hmm. and i stand up on my tippy toes range get a range on him it's how far 40 yards hmm. even perfect and uh this is where um where uh practice for my sh shooting, like yeah. uh, so, something I was uh, practicing a lot after we had our little mishap. Yeah, um, is I'd go draw my bow back, mm -hmm. find my anchor, find bubble, and level it. Yep, and then put on target and release. That's, I had the system and I would not shoot my bow. I wouldn't let the arrow go unless I went through those steps. And when I drew back on him, I'm like, okay, draw back, anchor, find level. So looking through my peep at my level, and as it turns out, he was angled downhill a little bit. Yeah. And my mind was trying to match his level. So I was leaning way back and my bow was way out of level. Mm -hmm. And I, I had to fight myself back into level to believe in it yeah. yeah to to make the shot right instead of just letting one go mm -hmm. it was i i practiced this i know it works now execute what i know works so once i fought myself back to level i just swung tight to his shoulder and found my balance on the shot and just it was so natural mm -hmm. just flew up there arrow flew up hit him tight to the shoulder uh, he took two lunges, broke the arrow in half, saw the arrow fall out of him, and he disappeared out of sight, and I was thinking to myself, and I'm like, okay, next thought was give him an hour. Well, I heard him hit a tree really hard, just just like breaking limbs and stuff, and I'm mm -hmm. like, that was a, that's a crash. I yeah. think he might be down, so I eased my way up and peeked my head over the hill, and he's laying there flopping on the ground. Yeah. He went, I don't know. From where the arrow hit him to where he was laying, the only reason why he went any further than 40 yards is because uh, he was sliding downhill yeah. from kicking. It's crazy. Those animals, they can be so tough sometimes, and you're like, oh, yeah. how can they make it through that? And then they can be just like you're describing and just like putty in your hand, mm -hmm. you know. Hit them perfect, and they just, they're done. Yeah. Yeah. Arrow's pretty darn lethal. It is. That's that's something I, I tell people all the time. I'm like, you know, if you be in hunting, like I'm glad you showed me the gutless method because it's like I used to get it in there and pull the guts out and then quarter them out and all that stuff. But it's like if you scratch yourself with a broadhead in the wrong spot with all that blood around already, it's like not a good show for you. Yeah, we haven't <clears throat> got out an animal in a long, long time because... Well, the question is why, you know? Exactly. You, you can get a little bit more meat 
if you bring it out whole. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I say little, it's very little. Um, yeah, it's like you saw you what we the did. Ribs and everything. Yeah, that's and nine times out of ten, we can get the rib meat too doing the mm-hmm. gutless technique. Um, it it's just pretty amazing it way really to do is. it. Mm-hmm. Man, this is some good food. Yeah. Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad that worked out for you. I was so pumped when you uh, sent me that text last season. I forget oh. where I was. We were on a hunt or something, and I got a text. You were from, in Arizona with... Uh, with Steve. Yeah, with Steve. Yeah. I showed the guys, look at this. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That that there, it, it I, I took... It, it brought everything together when not only because I killed the elk, but uh, I got that bull and it was, and it didn't take long for me seeing in person what you guys did to like grasp the concept of everything that you show in your videos. Like it, it just took it that next step further. Like I was telling you is it, it just polished that edge up real quick. Yeah, we went over a lot of things in a short amount of time hanging yeah. out with you. <laughs> yeah, really did. And something that I'm trying to figure out is, um, like, I've got my YouTube channel and whatnot. Yeah. It's, like, a lot of my buddies uh, that I hunt with, they aren't super excited about, like, recording hunts and stuff, but they like to. Mm-hmm. And it's how I guess one question is how do you how do you make the camera work in this situation most of the time? I don't know if that I, maybe I'm not asking that question right, but how would you go about getting into that? Is maybe what I should say. Well, we were pretty lucky in the fact that we were all pretty passionate about um, wanting to video our hunts. Mm-hmm. And basically, you know, long ago, 2007, mm-hmm. we started. The only thing that people really watched was on TV. There, I mean, YouTube really wasn't a thing. And so um, it would just seem like a big advertisement rather than telling a, like a hunting story. Mm-hmm. And so we were pretty passionate about our, like, like, we want to show the way we really feel like hunting is. And so we would hit that record button and just try to capture all that. We weren't good at it. We had, we barely knew where the record button was. Um, yeah. But we did have the passion between a group of friends of ours. Mm-hmm. Well, that being said, we made a lot of mistakes. Bull comes in and, you know, the quote-unquote cameraman is watching the bull um, instead of watching the viewfinder and watching the bull. Oh. And so what you're seeing later on video is not what you saw as the hunter uh and it and it would take take you away from the experience as the viewer Mm -hmm. and so we made rules because we knew that we weren't even we even though we were so passionate we still needed some parameters to make sure that at the end of this we have uh, amazing content that we Mm -hmm. can share and so uh we we adopted some rules like uh, the cameraman can't bring binoculars. Um, that is a good one. So then when you know we spot elk or whatever, 
the cameraman isn't there to look at the elk through binoculars. He's there to, to hit record, mm -hmm. document all of us looking at the elk through our binoculars. Um, and then, you know, made rules about if you are going to be uh, filming in the heat of the moment when it counts, make sure that you look through the viewfinder mm -hmm. and not look at the actual animal. And so we, there was a few things that we've had to learn over the years, and we still make a lot of mistakes, but um, just slowly but surely we got better at it. And I will say that if you are passionate about filming and your friends are kind of, eh, they're okay, but not really, to be honest with you, you're in trouble because mm -hmm. um, if you're relying on them to capture a moment, mm -hmm. you're going to see it one way in your mind, and when you watch it back, it's going to be a different way. I hear you. Um, and so you'll have to make the decision if you're okay with that or if you're just going to do the solo thing and film all your stuff by yourself and, and do your best. That's do not your best easy. Out. It's hard. Did you see really my hard. black powder hunt on YouTube? Yeah, I did. It was, it was awesome. That was hard. It's really hard. <laughs> I was all by myself, and that, that, I don't like the feeling of, I, I'm leaving my camera 400 yards behind with a big telephoto lens that I have to hope the buck stays in one yeah, spot. Yeah, you were taking a lot of risks on that. Granted, I was moving at your guys' pace <laughs> to get down there. Yeah. And I, I took a minute to calm my nerves and then I finished the stock. It was awesome. I was, I, I got that same tag this year too. So cool. I'm hoping to not have to do it solo, but <laughs> if I have to, I'll do it. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that after being a, a part of that with you, it just really inspired me. I'm like, I gotta get this, I gotta, I gotta start recording this stuff because it, it just adds to the story. It's more than just, you know, a picture's worth a thousand words and a video's worth, you know, way more. Well, the thing about it is, we've been talking about this forever. These pictures aren't gonna be something that we're gonna like sit down and tell stories with our kids. What we're gonna do is we're gonna sit down and we're gonna watch them with mm -hmm. our grandkids. You know, someday when I'm really old, mm -hmm. I'm gonna be able to sit down with my grandkids on the couch and see what grandpa did back when he was young. You know, uh, that is so cool. Mm -hmm. um, I remember hearing stories from my grandparent or my grandpa, and he, he could tell them really well, but man, if I could see some of the stuff that he did. I know, like, I try to soak up some of my stories from my grandpa too, but same deal, man. I wish I could watch some stories of old Gramps back in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh man, some of the bear hunting stories that I, I've heard from my grandpa and his dad. Uh, well, I didn't hear them from my great grandfather directly, but uh, he was telling me about bear hunting up in the local area around here, and he'd shoot bears at 300 yards with open sights. Mm. Well, and. It's like, I, a lot of people don't know that that's what the old timers did. But they, with all these new guns and stuff, you know, the fancy, I mean, I really like that gun you were using on your bull hunt over in Colorado, that SIG. Yeah, there's some technology that's just amazing these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
A lot different than what Grandpa used to use. <laughs> exactly. It was like an old Woodstock 30-06. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing wrong with those guns either, though. No. I mean, they shot them all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a matter of just getting it out and putting some time in behind them. Exactly. A lot of those old old guys, too, they reloaded all their own ammunition, too. Well, at least in my family. Yeah, my Grandpa, he was actually a bow hunter. Was he? And, uh, yeah, he loved shooting recurve and... Well, I should say I'm not surprised because um, you get it from somewhere. <laughs> yeah. Well, then um, he's a timber faller and got hit by a limb in the head. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah, he became paralyzed. And it paralyzed one half of his body. He wasn't ever supposed to walk again. Oh, my um, goodness. And uh, his bow hunting days were over. And then he had to... He was actually... I believe he was left-handed and his left side went paralyzed so then he had to teach himself to be right-handed uh, he's just an amazing man and I, I believe my dad was I don't know how old he was around 10 or 12 when it happened and had to grow up kind of fast I think and yeah um, but then he actually you know he became a rifle hunter and we still try to get grandpa out in the woods he's he's a he's a tough old bird I think mm -hmm. you have to be if, oh yeah uh, if you're number one a timber faller yeah. <laughs> and number two supposed to be uh not walking the rest of your life and here he is he he walks around with a, a cane gosh he's he's a guy to to look up to for mm -hmm. sure so yeah he's a cool dude inspirational people yep it's you you wake up in the morning and if you're not feeling so great you can look at somebody like that and go i have no excuses Zero. Zero. Excuses. Zero. Yeah. What else you got for me, Dave? Well, let me think here. Um, something I wanted to talk about too is yeah. If if you're all right with it, uh, that mishap we had while we were hunting there, that first encounter with that bull. Yeah. That six by six. I have no problem talking about anything. All right. So, to give you guys kind of the rundown. We were up there on the on the family's place, and uh, we were, we set up, started calling after we located a bull. Mm -hmm. And this he, is the second night. Yeah, the second night that I it was met just you, right? you. Yeah, just you and I. Mm -hmm. So we we go charging in there, and just to uh, put a precursor on the situation, I I. I set up my equipment wrong, and Trevor helped me fix it, and I'll explain what happened from oh, my yeah. point of view. And I'm glad we're talking about this, because I feel like we learned a lot of stuff. Changed everything for me, what you, you yeah. yeah. So, we get into this spot, and uh, we get this bull, he's at 60 yards, and I decided not to shoot him. And Trevor was trying to get me to shoot him over here back, was it? I was ducked down. In that poison oak bush. He was supposed to come around us, and he didn't. Mm -hmm. And he stops there broadside. And I thought he was like 50 yards from yeah. you. I, he was 50 yards from me, probably. Yeah. And you were right behind me. <clears throat> and I just ducked down on my belly, and I was just like, shoot him. Shoot him. <laughs> <laughs> Later, you tell me you didn't want to shoot over me. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, I, you got to let one fly. <laughs> You're not going to hit me. Well, I knew I wasn't going to hit you, but I just, I'm like, 
I don't know. Maybe uh, that was. Elk are just so hard to kill. And when you have one that's mm -hmm. actually submitted, you know, yeah. and you have that moment, I'm like, we got him. But it, it ended up working out even better. Yeah, it got better. Yeah, you made a good decision. Yeah. Not shooting over my, my back. He came into, he went around that big tree, that willow patch. Mm -hmm. He was circling us trying to get the wind. And he comes out and he's at like, 30 yards or something. Uh, yeah. And that, it made it made the situation a lot better. But this is where it went wrong. Also, <clears throat> so my bow was a pretty inexpensive setup. Um, it's one of those, uh, what would you call it, economy bows? Yep. Kind of deal at the time. And I, uh, I had it set up with the factory rest on it and factory sights, which I ended up not changing the sights, which, you know, there's no reason to if you don't have to. Um, but I was also shooting Walmart arrows, and those yep. are not the best arrows to shoot by any means. And, and I feel like out of everything you've described so far, that is the weak link. A really, really light weight. Your mm -hmm. arrows were so lightweight. Yeah. They were like a feather. Mm hmm And with a hundred grain tip. Yeah, I was right? only shooting a hundred grain tip. Which is fine um, with the right arrow. I was gonna say the year before I I killed a bull up up in public, but he was only at sub fifteen yards. And when you're that close, you have a lot of tolerance with stuff like that because your arrow is getting there immediately and if you hit them in the ribs you're not dealing with a whole lot or you know go for a long shot you're not dealing with a whole lot of material there so you can get away with that mm -hmm. lighter gear and less accurate gear too well i think that light is just fine when it hits the perfect spot exactly like if you hit the 12 ring in between the ribs and it doesn't contact rib mm -hmm. You could throw a feather at it, and guess what? It's going to kill it. Oh, yeah. You could kill it with a, a dart. Mm -hmm. it's, it's not those moments that we're talking about. It's the moments where it glances off of the ribs that are only spaced two inches apart. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you have your broadhead. Chances are part of your broadhead is going to hit that rib. Right. And it's what that arrow is going to do after that contact mm -hmm. is the big question. So that's where... It's not, it's not uh, if, it's when. It's going to happen. And right. so that's why I think it's so important. So this bull comes out at right at 30 yards. Maybe 28. Could have been. It could have been 28. <laughs> it was close. It, it was freaking close. <laughs> so I, I draw back. Broadside. Open. Open country. Nothing in my way. And I shoot. <laughs> and just... I just smoked. just a warning shot right over the bow. <laughs> well, just I had to check and make sure it was a healthy elk for its reflexes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> when you shot and the elk just stood there, I went, "What? What happened?" I wondered if you didn't even have an arrow in your bow. <laughs> well, I shot and it, it the shot felt so good to me that I, I was like, "He's gonna just fall over right there." Yeah, that I had. Wasn't I the remember. Case. I had to tell you to You're like, reload Shoot him again. He's like still 30. He spun around and stood quartering away. I called. 
Yeah. And he stopped. He was like, what, maybe 34? Yeah, maybe. And it's like, and you were just standing there. And I'm like, reload, reload. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody, please. So uh, I get an, another, uh, and I, I, not a scratch on this bullet at this point. Uh, yeah. That was a, <laughs> first one was a big miss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Flying colors there. Draw back a second time. And I'm like, okay, obviously something's wrong here. So I get my second shot and I draw back and just put it on him again and let it fly. And arrow flies out there and hits, I'm pretty sure it either hit the rib or hit the very back tip of the scapula. It hit, it hit a little high. Um, just about like maybe just mid to back lung and it's, it hit it dead centered a rib it stopped it i mean the arrow went in like maybe two inches three inches the broad when when you hit the elk with the arrow the arrow didn't stick in it it fell down and it was caught by its hide yeah as it ran off and immediately I'm like, oh no. Yeah. I'm like I didn't want to tell you at that moment, but I was very deflated by what that arrow did because that that means it didn't have any penetration. I was hoping that it went and hit the offside and shot back out, but mm -hmm. I was really confused. I'm like, I've never seen an arrow do that before hit right there. I've seen it do that before hit in the middle of the shoulder. Mm-hmm. But this was nowhere near the shoulder. Right. And just so everybody knows, I was shooting 70 pounds, but I was using those light, light... Flimsy little arrows. Yeah. Yeah. It was... It was a problem. It was a big problem. We waited um, till after dark before we even... During near. Yeah. I mean, he, he went up over the hill out of sight. And so we spent our time scanning the hill. And this is a prairie... Mm -hmm. And you you can think a prairie is really awesome. No. But I will tell you, trying to track a blood trail in a prairie is my worst. Mm -hmm. I hate it. Well, I would much rather grass. deal with brush. Mm -hmm. I'd rather be on my hands and knees in brush because any drop of blood is going to show up on leaves, mm -hmm. any kind of brush. In a dry grass prairie, that blood drips down and it disintegrates mm -hmm. in the dry earth i think it just sucks it in yeah it just something. takes all the moisture out and then you have such a hard time seeing it you actually have an easier time seeing it at night with mm -hmm. with a headlamp because then you could see the wet spot compared to dry mm -hmm. in the daylight you can't really see it as well right so um that was actually an advantage is tracking them at night mm -hmm. um through that field it, w it was slow and arduous mm -hmm. i mean we took how many hours and we, hours we were out there till midnight hands and knees just trying to get through the prairie i mean we could see he wasn't in the prairie dead right uh, and it was a hundred yards probably 150 yards of prairie he went up over down the other side mm -hmm. but it took us we knew he wasn't in the prairie but we didn't know where he exited the prairie so you actually had to slowly go through each and every tiny little drop 
just mm -hmm. to try to figure the exit point where he got out of that place and got into the brush. Mm -hmm. Oh, it was hard. Yeah. That that was definitely not not a good show. No, it it wasn't. I mean, you know, long story short, we never found that elk. Yeah. Um, the the elk lived, and then it, I wasn't surprised when you let me know that uh, he ended up on a game camera. Yeah. Uh, what? How many days later? Right. Uh, he's still kicking. Yeah, you know? he was fine. Yeah. Um, and kind of knew that uh, going through there, but. You got to do your due diligence. Exactly. And I, I appreciate you not telling me that right away because I needed to. We wouldn't have learned as much. Exactly. I needed to learn that. And I, I appreciate you going, no, we need to stay on it. And I, I know to do that already, but it just, it really lets it sink in. Okay. Something's got to change with the next encounter I have with an elk or before I encounter in my next elk. Yep. And then, uh, well, a little story. Uh, when I was 13, I went over to Eastern Oregon, mm -hmm. and my I went on this first big hunt for a mule deer with a rifle. My dad took me on it, and we split up. And lo and behold, a buck. I see a buck like 80 yards, and it's giant. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, I was 13 year old kid hunting blacktail deer the year before. I oh, yeah. see a mule deer. It's a three by four with double eye guards. It's giant in my eyes right oh, yeah um and i raise up offhand and the buck's kind of trying to get away and i shoot i hit the buck it wasn't good um my dad comes back it's the first time my dad i had ever hunted quote unquote alone mm -hmm. um my dad was a hundred yards from me watching me. Oh, was he? <laughs> yeah. He, he was kind of just letting me do, he was kind of watching. We were parallel and, you know, sneaking through this little flat and hit this buck. Well, we search and search. Finally, uh, buck jumps up. My dad shoots it and he hits it in the back, spines it. Mm -hmm. And I'll never forget my dad. We, we went up to the buck and it's still, yeah. you know, trying to get that. away. And my dad handed me a knife and he said, you know, go get it done, son. Mm -hmm. And it was very, very visceral, you know, it was yeah. very difficult on my psyche, 13 year old kid having to deal with the suffering mm -hmm. and that part of it. I had never witnessed that before. And, and it, it, that moment right there changed my life in how I try to go about my shot placement, mm -hmm. how much time I take when I, when I shoot. Literally, from when I was a 13-year-old boy, comes back to me almost every time I'm almost ready to shoot, pull the trigger. Yeah. Um, and it's funny how, you know, you take from those moments and you learn oh, from yeah. those. And, uh, yeah, that was, it was good. So I think it was really important that we worked it out through that field mm -hmm. till midnight until we literally couldn't find another drop of blood. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was, we were out of blood and then we Whoa. were taking trails and then we were doing circles and then I got poison oak. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, the next morning I went up there and I spent a good yeah, I remember two hours up there by myself and I kept going to the last blood and then I'd walk a trail out, Yep. go to the last blood and walk another or, you know, yep. ease my way through it and just looking for anything mm -hmm. that I could find. And I just, it last blood was 
Last Blood. Yeah, if I remember right, didn't Shannon and I come back up there? Yeah, you guys went up there and we met me up at the pickup, and, and, uh, and then you, you guys You were went working up out trails, and we went up around, and yeah. I mean, you do everything you can to exactly. try to exhaust all efforts, and mm-hmm. I'm glad he's still alive. Maybe we'll get him this year. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Maybe it'll happen. Maybe I'll give my broadhead back. Maybe. <laughs> I hate saying that, but he's okay. Um, so with when it comes to gear, I gotta say real quick, if any of you are out there and you're you're being a tight wad towards your gear, spend money on arrows first off, and get a heavier arrow that's a reliable company for one, and then. But it just needs to be quality. Or just yeah. a quality arrow. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And then sp- spend money on your rest too because like I ended up buying that drop away which wasn't a super expensive one but it was better than that that deal that I had uh, that the yeah. hostage rest or whatever they are the rest you had if it's not set up perfectly exactly it's gonna tend to kick your arrow mm-hmm. and when you put fixed broadhead blades on an arrow it'll steer your arrow in whatever direction it comes off your bow mm-hmm <clears throat> so a drop away rest just I think is so invaluable is it it helps you your arrow not get steered in the wrong direction right mm-hmm. off the bat you know it's one thing to shoot an arrow with a target tip yeah definitely it's a totally different animal when you shoot a fixed blade broadhead mm-hmm. you know yeah definitely and yeah, definitely take the time to get your um, rest tuned too. Because mm-hmm. I, I had I paper tuned mine, and that took things and made them groups a lot tighter. Just with that, paper tuning is a must. Mm-hmm. It's not a maybe; it's a must. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then another thing I, I heard, uh, I think it was Cody talking about in one of his videos that you guys were doing the broadhead tests, um, knock tuning arrows. Mm-hmm. That can take it to the next another level too. Yep. And I started doing that with my arrows and the uh, arrows that would like you'd shoot two right next to each other and the number three would shoot just like two inches to the right or yeah, something. Yeah. Just spin your knock until it comes back together. Just spin your knock and shoot it again. Sometimes mm-hmm. you'll just see it come right in. Mm-hmm. And that's what I've been doing with yep. my those arrows that you gave me. Yep. Yeah. It's a big help. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That was a good hunt, man. Oh, I, I'm real proud of you for uh, having that failure moment and then pulling it together. I couldn't believe it actually when, so that happens, right? And mm-hmm. so I knew that we had a big problem with the arrow setup you had. Right. So I gave you those other arrows mm-hmm. I had. During season, the next day, you go out, you take your rest off your bow, you put a new rest on, you made some big changes immediately. And I thought, you know, there was part of me that thought that maybe he'll just try to get by this year and then next year. No. The next day, you take all your stuff off your bow, you up your rest game, you start shooting the new arrows, you recite your sight in because mm-hmm. they're different. I, w- I changed it instead of, I, I had kind of a random. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, it was a messed up system mm-hmm. that I had. And it was because of those arrows. Yeah. 
And another thing, I that next day I ordered a rangefinder that night and got it sent to my house. <laughs> like I was like, I'm not hunting without a rangefinder. Yeah, you got you got invested there real quick, and uh, I was really really impressed. We live a long ways. I mean, you live a long ways from a bow shop. Oh, I do. At that time, and um, for I paper tuned it myself. Yeah, for you to go on YouTube, learn how to paper tune, uh, get your rest dialed in, then put redid your sight, resighted in with new arrows. <clears throat> I was super impressed with the. Uh, what you did there and then you capitalize you kill a bull mm -hmm. like a week later so it yeah. was it was it's that, a really cool story it's, a, you should be proud of yourself for that man it's really mm -hmm. good big 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 moment for it me. was a big move yeah mm -hmm. it was cool it was it was uh retain and apply <laughs> that's that's what it went. That was a two-step process. Yeah, I had Retain fun. Retain the information and apply it. I had fun telling the boys in Arizona that story. I'm, I'm like, you'll never believe what he just did. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was <Yeah>. cool. <laughs> oh, boy. When I, I want to ask you about sights. What, what, I, I like single pins, personally. Yeah. But this particular sight that I have, it's uh, one of those dead nets. Um, Pendulum sites by, I can't remember the name. The yeah, company. there's a million different site companies you could choose from. Right. Um, I think you gotta, there's a couple things to take into consideration when you're considering a site. I mean, there's people who have had super success with a fixed site mm -hmm. um, without the pendulum, mm -hmm. you know, and they have a set range that they're willing to shoot out to, and that's it. And that's fine. I mean, I hunted with, I hunted with uh, a fixed sight for a long, long, long time, and sometimes I still do, actually. I have a, a Spot Hog 7 Deadly Pins from the Cameron Haynes oh, yeah. uh, back in the day, and uh, I've killed a lot of animals, uh, a lot of deer and elk with that, that sight. Um, that's a lot of pins, 7 pins. Yeah. Um, so then the other, w the other way to go about it is one single pin with an adjustable slider. Uh, I think that that can be super advantageous, especially for someone who, like my dad, who uh, as he's getting older, his eyesight starts to get a little blurry, you know, for reading or whatnot. And so to see that pin, it becomes blurry or he starts to see double. Um, oh. And then if you throw five pins on a slider, yeah, uh, that can get real tricky. And so to have one simpler visual window, can be really helpful helpful for that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of my animals that I've killed, we were always calling the elk in to us, right. and they'll come in to, let's say, 25 yards, and then they'll see me, and they'll be face on, I can't shoot, and they'll spook and they'll run. And then I have a call in my mouth, I go, meow, meow, meow. Mm -hmm. Stops, he quarters away, he takes one last fateful look, He's at 35, boom, I shoot. Now, in this country, I don't know whether I'm going to shoot this bull at 10 yards mm -hmm. or I'm going to shoot him at 35. And so for me, having a setup where I have more than one pin um, just makes me feel way more comfortable. Gotcha. Um, so that's why I, I use a five pin uh, Tommy Hog slider is what I use. And so 
Um, my first four pins, 20, 30, 40, 50. Mm -hmm. um, my fifth pin at the bottom, 60, is actually smaller. Um, oh, gotcha. And so it, when it's out at range, it doesn't cover up the whole kill area. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's not a big deal at 60, but when I'm playing around and I dial that sucker to 88, mm -hmm. that little tiny pin uh, is nice to have on a, on a target that's way out there. And that's what I do. I think my low, my smallest pin, my 60-yard pin's a uh, 010 or something like that. Oh, wow. Um, instead of an 017 or 016 or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. So um, that's what I do. And we've actually put it into... Uh, put it into play a couple times on animals where um, shot an animal mm -hmm. and like Trent he he shot an animal it was uh, I believe it was like 50 yards yeah shoots hits it it runs out and it stops and it's I believe it stopped at 78 yards mm -hmm. and what's nice is we were able to click slide that mm -hmm. to 78 and then he has a pin he puts directly on the animal and he shot again. He already had an arrow in it. Now, would he shoot a 78-yard shot, the first shot an animal? No. No, he's not doing that. But a follow-up shot? It's that follow-up shot. That, that's yeah. what I was mainly wondering about is mm -hmm. that follow-up shot. Yeah, it was a big deal. Um, it's helped us a couple of times. It's been uh, pretty invaluable. Mm-hmm. That that makes me want to spend the money on one of those. And the nice thing I've I've realized is, um, like I was telling you earlier, is that I've been budget bowing it. Yeah. And I, I like to pick up those older, um, older bows that are. There's nothing wrong with them. Mm -hmm. if, if you need to slap a new string on it. That was the first question I asked you, right? Yeah. Is it got a new string on it? The string I had it checked out by one of the bow shops and he's yeah. like, good string. It's See, already I, stretched. And I think fun. that you can get an old bow, old bow, and you put a new string on it, you're pretty darn good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they shoot just as fast as a lot of the new bows do, depending on what you... Yeah, and to be honest, speed is not everything. Exactly. You know, it's just not. Uh, it's all about accuracy. Mm-hmm. And... Not all bows are created equal. Mm -hmm. There's some years of some bows that are just amazing. Yeah. I can, I can rattle off a couple of you know just amazing ones. The Hoyt Ultratech was one of my favorite bows of all time, mm -hmm. and I still have the Hoyt Maxis. That bow, incredible. <laughs> like you know, there's just a few bows that I just think that for whatever reason. They it's, shot. They shot, and they will still shoot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> My dad has an old high country bow from back in the day, mm -hmm. and he that thing's just ridiculously fast for the age of it, mm -hmm. and um, like at forty yards, he can shoot a you know with not much practice, he can do. It. Half MOA group. <laughs> yeah, two-inch group or yeah. smaller. Sweet. Even. And that, that's pretty amazing to me. And something I was going to say to people is if, if you do get have to get a bow on a budget, spend the money on the, the 
the furniture because you can move that to when your new bow like if you got like a $200 Tommy hog or whatever yep. you can move that to your next bow when you finally have the money to get the, the good bow 100% and that's something I've been and like and like that site that you're talking about i wish it was only 200 dollars, but um they they don't wear out i mean Mm -hmm. they're tough those tough as nails or the yeah spot hogs yeah the spot hogs they're like they are bulletproof i mean we put our stuff through a lot of hard use Mm -hmm. you see how we just kind of grab and go Mm -hmm. and We've never broken a pin in our life. That's impressive. None of us. Not, uh, what, that's how the saying something. <laughs> fiber optics hold up. Have you had to replace fiber optics at all? Never. That's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. Like, for what we do to those bills, I don't know how they don't break in half. Well, I can recall, like, several scenes where Steve freaking throws his bow after he kills a bull. Yeah. He ba- just casts it to the side. He's like, I got yeah, one. Baller status. Just just tosses his bow. Well, I guess that's a testament to the bow itself, too. It's like if it can handle somebody spiking it into the ground like well, a football. Yeah, you got a little excited on that one. That Arizona bull was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. That was that hunt came together really well too. That was one of the greatest hunts of our lives. It, I mean, to have that many big bulls surrounding you mm-hmm. for ten days or whatever it was, it was just seven, eight days, seven. I don't know how many days. I wish it would have lasted longer. To be honest with you, yeah. I just kept hoping he wouldn't shoot one because every day you wake up and you're like, this is going to be one of the greatest elk hunting days of my life, and it was. And it happens again. Yeah, it was just incredible. Well, you come from Little Town, Oregon, Mm -hmm. where you don't hear that many bugles, you don't see that many elk, Mm -hmm. you work your butt off for an opportunity. Usually when you see an elk, um, you get one opportunity for the season, and when you do see it, it's usually in bow range, and you're usually at full draw by then. Mm -hmm. Like most of the elk I've killed in Oregon, I haven't seen them before I was at full draw. And to transition from that to hunting Arizona, mm-hmm. where it's wide open spaces, bulls are bugling everywhere, and uh, it was ridiculous. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. What I find funny, or pretty entertaining to me, is you'll go to a place like that, and I looked at some of the country that, you know, kind of picking apart the country that you were hunting in over there, and you go to talk to the locals, and what you guys were hunting in, they considered brush country. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're hunting in the thick stuff. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Are you, you kidding me? Come, come over to our neck of the woods yeah. for a little while. You're hilarious. We'll show you some brush. They don't even know what poison oak is. Lucky. <laughs> That's all I have to say about that. Yeah. I guess another topic is uh, spring bear hunting. Mm-hmm. That, that, was it a big boar that your nephew got? Yeah, it was. Giant. I've never seen a bear up that big you know i think your bear could ate my bear in one, or that bear could ate my bear in one bite it and was a his bear was big mm-hmm. um you know we didn't we didn't take a hanging weight with a guts in or anything right. like that it died in a terrible terrible little uh slash pile mm-hmm. but i saw that it was a big big boy like you couldn't move it with one guy and uh he made an awesome shot on it too. How far was that? I believe it was four hundred and eighty something. 
some right in there for 480 something yards that was a good one yeah all right he just smoked that thing perfect, oh, yeah. perfect. i'm glad that i'm glad that he's in an environment where you guys have him confident in shooting because not everybody gets to be around people like you guys and grow up with uncle or dad that can go I'm handing you a gun that if you do your part, it'll do its its part. Well, yeah, that comes a lot from, um, like I was telling you when I was 13, mm-hmm. but when I was 12, um, my dad took me out. I had I borrowed my grandma, my grandma Jenny's lever action 30-30. Wow. And it had a scope on it, and I proceeded to miss it was five or six bucks that first year my dad took me out and i missed everyone whiff 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 um and part of that was obviously my fault i had major buck fever when i was 12 years old yeah i i had an involuntary shaking reaction where i my heartbeat increased so much and i became flush i'd start to sweat and I would shake. I would just start shaking mm-hmm. um, with these, you know, crazy uh, releases of <laughs> you adrenaline. know epinephrine, adrenaline, norepinephrine, all of it. And so we were just. Uh, my dad, we'd spot a buck, and sometimes they'd be out there a ways, you know, mm-hmm. 300, 350 yards. My gun was sighted in for a hundred yards, mm-hmm. um, so my dad would tell me, you know, aim top of its back. He could have told me to aim for anything. I wasn't hitting it, uh-huh. um, and you know, a lot. We've come a long way in technology, and also taking from when I was twelve. Now I spend a lot of time. Like with Wyatt, for example, mm-hmm. who you're talking about, we spent a lot of time going out before the hunting deal, um, put a bipod on the gun, uh, we put sand under the stock. We talk about um, how just because you're on a bipod and you can see an animal in your sights, you do not pull the trigger until the stock of your gun also has a rest, not mm-hmm. just the bipod. You cannot. At 482 yards, you can't hold the gun still enough. Right. The gun has to hold itself, and you have to just squeeze the trigger. Yeah, this is your job. You have to let go of the gun, and it should still be on the animal, Mm -hmm. not moving. When we have those things in place, then shooting that shot becomes possible. Mm -hmm. You know, for a, I mean, he's 13 years old, and... I mean, he's had so much success. Uh, it's been pretty amazing and rewarding to see him kind of soak in. And I feel like he doesn't know it, but he's learned from all the mistakes that I've made <laughs> up front. It, yeah. He's had a really good cheat sheet um, exactly. for not making those mistakes. And another thing that I have to say is he doesn't have to make those mistakes to learn what you're showing him you're you're giving him a bunch of information but if he's 
you know, when he gets his driver's license and he goes out and I'm going to kill a buck on my own kind of thing, and he makes a mistake, he'll know how to correct it, too. He'll be competent enough if he makes a mistake. Yeah, and dare I say it, I don't know if he will. Like, the kids, Yeah. he's awesome. He's pretty... I watched a hunt where he went with Trent, and, you know, he ranged it. He dialed it. He got the gun down. He made sure that the stock was good. He executed the shot, and he just drilled the, the buck 325 yards through the heart. Wow. You know, it's just like, oh, that was awesome. You mm -hmm. know, it's just like, and he was 12 or something. <laughs> something that's always helped me is uh, when somebody takes me out and lets me use something new, for example, like a gun that you can dial in, don't dial it in for the kid. Have them do it like you're saying. Yep, go through the steps. Have them execute the process so they're not, so they can, it's so they can take full responsibility for everything that happens from the moment they see the animal to the moment they're, you know, getting it. Yep, and then on the range when you go out, you don't do it either. You set up, you have them shoot 100 yards, drilled it. Mm -hmm. Okay, now aim at the 300 yard target, shoot that, let them miss. Mm -hmm. Okay, now why do you think you missed? Oh, I forgot to dial. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead and do what you need to do. Have him range it. Okay, read the dial. He dials it. Now he's gone through the failure Right. Of what happens when you don't do those steps. So he still has those failures. It's just on a range, on a two, mm -hmm. on a Sunday, you know. <laughs> it's a controlled environment to have a failure. It's, it's perfect to have a failure. Yeah, mm -hmm. rather than tell him the steps and having him do it perfect every time, let him do it, have it go wrong. Mm -hmm. So then they have that memory to look back on. Yeah, it's good. This year I ended up getting a about a hundred pounder bear mm -hmm. and I was looking at it and I'm like yeah you're the you're the fourth bear that I've seen this year and the rest of them met at 800 yards and you're at 150 doable yeah I'm yeah. Like, yeah I'll take you home get some sausage out of it I've been barbecuing it oh really yeah rubbing some just some of those uh, McCormick seasonings on there, uh -huh. just whatever I can find at the grocery store, just trying different things, and it's good. Do you have an internal thermometer that you're using? Yeah. You're sticking uh, in the meat? Taking it all the way to 170. Oh, so you're good? Yeah. yeah. Isn't it 165 and you're good? They recommend 170 trichinosis, but yeah. I guess um, I've heard that in Oregon, you don't have to worry about it so much. I mean, you should be cautious. I'm not advocating anybody undercook bear meat. Yeah, that, yeah, I would do say. Do not do that. Do not do that. Do not do that. Uh, bear meat needs to be cooked to 165 degrees to prevent the risk of, of getting trichinosis. Yes. And that's just a, that should always be a rule that we follow mm -hmm. so that you don't get sick. Exactly. Meat eater got trichinosis. One of the guys off that channel. Yeah, he got it. Yeah, my, my dad, he was telling me. He's like, you better cook that bear meat. And I'm like, why? And he's like, Steve got it. I'm like, oh, crap. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was a, I had been watching uh, a sow and a cub. She was probably a 280-pound sow with a 
uh, football. Big, big, yeah. big girl. Mm-hmm. With about a football-sized cub. Oh. And these little guys just run around on the hillside. And I love watching them things. This thing, he, he was up above, and he was trying to figure, he was going back and forth trying to figure out how to get down to mom. Mm-hmm. He walks down a log, and it's about a four and a half foot drop off the log, and he just sticks one just paw out like he's going to walk went, on air. Went for it. <laughs> just <laughs> shablum, and rolled down the hill to mom, and she looks at him like, you idiot. Yeah. Yeah. Told you not to do it. <laughs> you learn. Mm-hmm. And That's... then I turned, and I looked down the hill, and I'm like, hey, that, that's convenient right there. I'll take that one. And I'm I'm solo hunting this. And I got my phone up on the binos with the, one of those adapters. Mm-hmm. And I hit record, and I'm sitting there recording him. And I'm like, it's awful steep. And I, I don't necessarily want to go down there by myself. I don't know what my friends are doing. So I hit the, I stopped the recording, pulled the phone off the thing, and I called my buddy. And I'm like, hey, would you help me pack out a bear if I killed one? Yeah, I'll help you pack out a bear if you kill one. I'm like, okay, cool. So I hang the phone up, put it back on the thing. I thought you were going to say you put it on FaceTime or something. Oh, I wish I would. <laughs> if he had, if I had a phone that would do that, I, I would have. That would have been epic, like screen like, record it and have okay, it live Okay, fine. <laughs> I thought about live feeding it to uh, Instagram, but I decided not to uh, do that because I wanted to be able to use the footage. And one time I... I uh, I live streamed a um, a flock of about two thousand geese flying over uh, down on the coast by Langlois, mm-hmm. and I I forgot to save the video and I couldn't get the video saved after I posted it for some reason something weird happened hmm. and after that I decided not to do that kind of thing anymore. Yeah, it's not worth losing the footage. No, that it was a like I was going along I was right I was working for a guy and I was plowing fields with the tractor mm-hmm. there were so many geese that i heard them over the engine wow. in a closed cab and i was like well, what the heck is that probably illusions they were a pile of them yeah a big old pile of them and uh anyhow um i gotta shoot this bear and i pull the trigger and it just goes click i'm like oh no misfire really yeah i had a misfire and, and uh, i don't know if the Primer was bad or what, but I, you know, 30 seconds, let mm-hmm. it sit there, pulled up. This bear wasn't spooked by any means. Mm-hmm. He, he didn't even know I was there, so it's like, okay. It calmed my nerves after that because yeah. it messes with you a it little bit. It fouls you up a little bit. So I pull that shell out and kind of look at it, and I go, I don't want to put that in my pocket, so I kind of hucked it over the hill so it wouldn't hurt me if it did decide to go off. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's not the best thing to do with an empty casing, but... Um, or not an empty a live round, but I didn't want to pack it around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I put another one in there, and I'm like, I got to thinking about it. I'm like, I might, I might want to have two friends on this operation. So I called my other buddy after stopping the recording, and I got two guys coming, and then I shot him. <laughs> two guys for a hundred pound bear plus you. <laughs> well, I just wanted to have my buddies oh, okay. with me. I'm like, come <laughs> hang out with me. We're gonna pack out a bear. That's funny. <laughs> I'm going to make you hike to the bottom of a canyon for no reason. <laughs> yeah, you guys can just hang out and talk to me. I'll pack it out. Uh, yeah, that's what it was. Hide, quarters, and up the hill we went. Yeah. And actually, we ended up leaving it overnight because it got dark, and I didn't want to go in there and reach and into a brush hole and grab a hold of a live 
buzzsaw. Mm-hmm. That sounded like a bad idea to me, so we just left it overnight and came back first thing in the morning, and it was right next to a little creek, so it stayed cool all night, and the meat was fine. Perfect. Did the gutless method on that one though, and I messed up the hide. I didn't think about it. I started splitting it up the back, and I got halfway through, and I'm like, "What am I doing?" Because I was gonna tan the oh, hide myself. Yeah. And I was like, "What the heck am I thinking?" So. Yeah, it's harder to do the gutless method when you when you're gonna try to preserve the mm-hmm. the hide. Well, it's I'm, doable. Yeah. No. I'm just gonna take and use like pieces of it to like make a hat or something. Mm-hmm. Bear skin hat. Cool. Kind of deal. But it tastes good and got the shot on film. I think I sent that to you, didn't I? Um, I'm not sure. Yeah. It was a definite, I, like, I shouldn't have been that concerned about it, but it was like. Oh, I do remember this one now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was a one and done. Nice I, I shouldn't have been scared of going down there, but I was just like, you know. I know where he's at, so there's no tracking him. But I just don't want to reach in there and grab a hold of something with that many teeth. That's oh, you'll be fine. Yeah, they don't eat much. <laughs> just a little. <laughs> you know, I don't need that hand. Oh, that's my release. I can't. I can't use that. Yeah. Oh man. Have you back to the bow topic real quick? I just remembered this. Uh, yeah. Have you seen those uh, release wrist wraps that um, have the boa? Yeah. I got one of those. I really like that. Mm-hmm. Have you ever tried one before? Um, yeah, I have. What do you think of them? Um, for me, I've always I used to use um, some wrist straps with Velcro and whatnot, and I've seen the bow ones. Um, but for me, I like like you're talking about anchor point, mm-hmm. those sort of things. I just think that that's one less thing I'd have to worry about. For if it's ever like a half a turn loose or a half a turn tight, that affects how I sit against my face when I'm at full draw. Right. And that can affect my anchor point, which kind of can change just, I mean, we're talking subtle stuff, right? It is. It's not going to affect you at 20, 30 yards, but it might at 60, 70. Mm -hmm. Um, So for me, I like to have a leather strap with a buckle mm-hmm. i always hook it in you know same hole. the same number five hole or whatever the it is and i know that that is not one variable it's yeah. one thing i can check off the list it's not that it's out of your out of your mind yep and so that's i've always i've always used that for that reason and mm-hmm. you know there's people that are out there that are way better shots than me. I mean, look at Cam Haynes. Yeah, that's actually, I, that's why I got it, is I was watching one of his videos, and he's like, yeah, I use this. Yeah, he's got the bow strap, and it works for him, and um, chances are when he tightens it, it, it tightens to the same exact spot every time. But that's just one thing I've never even, like, checked out mm-hmm. much ever since I, I went away from using uh, Velcro. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Velcro's a joke to me. So It's loud. Yeah. And it takes too much time to put on, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, you know, whatever works for you. If if you're brand new to the uh, sport of shooting a bow, um, I'd say whatever you can get your hands on to start shooting a bow is worth it. This um, is true. I mean, I started out with Velcro straps, and I killed some animals, animals with them. Mm-hmm. It's just, and then I upgraded. 
right. just like you're going through your upgrading process right now. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll continue to do that until you get you know, the things that you're really super confident in. And that's where I'm confident. Mm -hmm. So I'll probably keep, keep doing that. <laughs> well, something that, like I can understand, um, I haven't been in it long enough to like really start uh, noticing the super finite details other than like, you know, I was mentioning knock tuning and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But like, you've been in it long enough where um, you notice the, there's the subtle things and then there's the finite stuff. And I, you've been in there long enough where, or in the, the, I don't know, sport, long enough to, if, if you see something that will change, uh, a, something that's annoying you about a bow or, um, a, like a release aid or, um, a sight, you know what a problem is and you know how to work around it and um, you've tested a wider variety of things mm -hmm. and I'm trying to think of how to put this. Well for me it's just like someone brand new to it mm -hmm. they don't know that there's a difference right. and, and in my mind I'm like it's a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Like for me I think one of the biggest things about a release is not about the strap mm -hmm. as much as it is the trigger pull. Mm -hmm. Just like a trigger pull on a gun. Right. If you have a light trigger pull, you can be more accurate. It's just a fact. Mm -hmm. You know, two and a half pound trigger, you're going to be more accurate than a seven pound trigger. Exactly. And because you don't have to put so much force on it mm -hmm. um, after you, you're starting to pull the trigger. You're starting to hold your rifle more. You're starting to shake a little bit. The same is true for a release, for example. So I want I want a release where I can put my finger there and hold it, but then when I put a little pressure on it, it's going to go off. You know, some of these releases that you buy at Bymart or whatever, they have so much travel in them right. that you're now starting to torque your bow while you're trying to pull your trigger. Mm -hmm. And it makes people trigger punch right uh, because they want that to go off Fast. faster and so they're starting to really wing that sucker uh, your trigger finger and you know that gets your your offhand that's holding your your bow to start squeezing and which causes torque and um, it, it's, it can be something as simple as you know the trigger and your release and so yeah, these little finite details, I think, can have a really huge impact on your shot. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we talk to people about, you know, just get into bow hunting, you know, but you still need to focus on some details mm -hmm. to try to set yourself up for success. And, you know, when we talk to people, we're just trying to save them the hassle that we already went through. Right. <laughs> Yeah. That's, like I was saying, just spending that little bit of time with you guys, it, like I, I'd, I'd watched your videos, but that little bit of time with that just, you know, and of my hunting career, that just little bitty blip of time. Yep. It 
sewed everything together. It was that finishing yeah. stitch. Mm -hmm. And and I'm sure I'm hoping to get out there again with you guys this year at some point and It'd be fun. find another yeah, elk to not mess up on. <laughs> and that's uh, another thing that I want to experience is hunting in a, a group again, like where everybody kind of knows what's up and you know, I don't even have to be a guy holding a bow. I just love to be there and experience that. Mm -hmm. And that's probably the hardest part is finding a group of like-minded, you know, dudes. Mm -hmm. And that's where I've we've been pretty lucky. Yeah, you all, all four of you, well, the main four of you, and then um, and then Ty. Ty. Yeah. And, I mean, we've hunted with some great, I mean, Chris Apui, is, he was awesome. He's an awesome dude. And just a bunch of people over the years I hunt with. It's been really fun. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking that that's about all I can think of right now. All right. To talk about. Well, I appreciate you having me on here. I appreciate you coming out. feel honored to be one of your first episodes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I need to get more on this podcast and i need to get back on making videos too so you told me about something an idea that you're trying to start or is that something oh, you're telling telling people about yeah i've been telling people a, about it it's uh, a secret can we talk about really it it's not really a secret the 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 ingredients to the recipe is a secret ish kind of thing gotcha um i'm producing i'm going to be producing hopefully let's with COVID and everything, it's knocked everybody on their heels mm -hmm. a little bit. And I'm gonna be making archery targets. Sweet. And uh, they're gonna be made with an all natural stuffing. Uh -huh. And um, they're gonna smell great too. I'm gonna scent them with uh, cedar oil so that it's a part of the pres preservation of what's inside of them. Uh -huh. It's part of this process. And I'll probably end up producing a video on like how I go about it, but not like immediately. Yeah. And something I was gonna ask you guys is um, kind of a, a what would you call it a industry standard? I've noticed is like a thousand shots into any target for arrows. I'm gonna see if you guys can uh, everybody throw in a hundred shots at some point on a single target between you. Oh, see how it does. Yeah. Hmm. Just really try to tear it up without trying to tear it up too bad i mean not like shooting broadheads through it because they're a target bag for field points but gotcha yeah cool i'd like to it'll be interesting to check it out i mean you were telling me your idea you know off podcast and it was, i thought it was pretty pretty cool idea so mm -hmm. i'm interested to see when uh when you get some together mm -hmm. it's cool I'm, I'm hoping it's sooner than later and uh, within a few months anyways. All right. I'm just waiting on somebody else at the moment to produce. Let me know. The other part of it because I'm working with, uh, you know, uh, Morgan with Just Instinct. You don't know him? Mm -hmm. oh. uh, he He's going to be designing the the face of the, like the target image yep. on the face of it. Mm -hmm. And they're going to be called uh, the... the I'm calling them the Ramsack. The Ramsacks? The Ramsacks. Yeah. Gotcha. Cool. So, 
And that might give people a hint on what's inside of them. That's cool. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So, well, I can't wait to see it, man. I'm headed over to uh, Roseburg right now after this. I'm going to go pick up some wood for making a longbow. I'm going to make a traditional, a couple of them, traditional style longbows. What kind of wood? I was going to use maple, but if I can find some, like, uh, yew wood, I was going to use that. But I don't know if I'll be able to find that over there. I don't know if you'll be able to find that either. I know nothing about it. Gotcha. So... I'm I've been watching that guy, uh, Clay Hayes. Yeah. He's a pretty cool dude, though. Legit. He's got that step-by-step mm -hmm. -step YouTube videos. Really? You're going to follow, I'm gonna follow, follow his lead? Through. Yeah. A friend of mine's daughter, she wants, I asked her one day, I'm like, if I, if I buy the materials, do you want to make a bow with me? And we're going to step-by-step it all the way through. You should video it. And that's, I'm planning on it. Cool. Yeah. That, that would be sweet. Getting a young kid involved. She's she's uh, originally from like Vancouver area, mm -hmm. so she's like been a city kid all of her life. And like <laughs> I'm I'm introducing actually all three girls have been introducing into uh, wild game meat and stuff like that because they've never had anything like that available to them. And they're like, wow, this is amazing. Yeah. And then I throw something else on the table, and they're like, oh, this is great. And uh, one I wasn't sure about if they were going to like it or not was the bear meat because it's a little greasier than yeah. deer or elk. And I, I didn't get a piece. It's delicious. Yeah. That's yeah, good. So I'm going to be recording that and um, putting that up on a – I'll do the step-by-step -step as we're going along with it. I think that would be a, a – probably won't be as good of a quality of video as uh, Clay Hayes makes, but – It'll be fun to watch anyways. Yeah, it'll be good to go through, mm -hmm. you know, step by step and see how it turns out. I mean, how many people have done that? Well, a, a lot of them before now, but this day and age? Yeah, this not, day and age. Not many. Well, something that I think is important for kids these days, they need to they need to get out there and do some of these older style, like making a longbow or tanning a hide. If they learned how to do that, and if things went south, like really south, where kind of like what's going up on up in Seattle, where they have Chaz or Chop, whatever that place is, where there's no trucking there, there's no food coming in. You know, it's stuff's shutting down. I mean, it's not going to happen necessarily around here, but like if an earthquake happens and you can't get to the grocery store, you got to be able to fend for yourself a little bit. That kind of stuff. It's like kids need to. And that's part of the reason why I started after you inspired me. You were the big push to get me on YouTube. Well, I don't think you realized it yet, but... No, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was just like... <laughs> I, I that After being with you and seeing the footage and everything, and it was just like, I've got to do this. And I've, I've been talking about it for a little while, talking about doing it. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people around here, they don't have that. They don't have, they, they look at it as it's, you're just goofing off on social media. And it's like, no, you're teaching somebody something. You're, you're producing a quality. If you put out quality, you're going to inspire people to do quality stuff. And instead of just sitting around playing video games. Well, in my 
thing I've always said is it doesn't have to be perfect. I mean, right. You got to be realistic. We are our own worst enemy when mm-hmm. it comes to, uh, you know, putting something out there on YouTube. You can right. critique it to death, and then guess what? At the end of the day, you don't hit submit. You don't. You don't upload it mm-hmm. because you're worried about. It's not perfect. We mm-hmm. just need to do X, Y, and Z, and then we'll be able to do it. Well, then, you know, weeks go by and months go by and years go by, and next thing you know, uh, you didn't you didn't put it out there. You didn't take a risk. Right. And what's the big worry? Mm-hmm. Nothing. Uh, I just think that if that's your passion, then just do it. Mm-hmm. And if you can inspire one person or one million people, mm-hmm. uh you know, the endeavor's worth it. So it's cool that you're doing that. Yeah. And like you're saying, the critiquing vid- of videos, I don't know if you saw it or not, but I uh, I posted a video. It's it's labeled like uh, Backcountry Boot Dryer Experiment. I don't know if you saw it. I that. haven't seen that one. Um, well, in one of your videos, I think you were in Arizona. Must have been you were in Arizona or something. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, I wish they made a Backcountry Boot Dryer. Mm-hmm. I remember you saying that, and I, I was like looking around for options for that. And I came up with uh, uh, those zipper hand, Zippo hand warmers, those mm-hmm. those uh, catalyst yep. burning ones. Yeah, I've had one. And I was like, I wonder if one of those will at least warm up a boot. You know, at the bare minimum, let's see if it'll warm it up where you don't have to have cold feet in the morning or get the perspiration out of it from yeah. your feet sweating. Mm-hmm. And um, one thing I didn't realize until I got like halfway through all the footage, I had a booger in my nose. <laughs> I was hanging there. And I'm like, I can't start this project over. And maybe somebody will comment on it. But, oh well. Who cares? I produced it anyways. Yeah. And I got like five or six comments. I only have like two, 22 subscribers right now. But I got like five or six comments. Everybody ha-ha and back and forth about the booger in my nose. But at least I know... That they're watching it, you know. But guess what? I mean, we always said that if it's good publicity or bad publicity, it's still getting someone to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And maybe some guy sends it to his buddy and says, "Look at this guy posted a video with a booger in his nose." Mm-hmm. And you may think that that's a bad thing. I would say it's probably better that that happened uh-huh. than it didn't, because maybe it got twice the shares that it would have gotten. Mm-hmm. Had you not had that something embarrassing happen? Mm-hmm. Some of the most <laughs> videos where we're so embarrassed about it, they've done some of the best for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And it's kind of weird how that works, but it's true. Mm-hmm. You know? Let's wrap it up and. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on here. I appreciate yeah. it. I appreciate it's pretty you fun to out and... come down and mm-hmm. we'll kind of review some old stories. Yeah, I'd like to come up with some new topics and uh, hopefully find a, a hunt of some sort in between now and then. I hope so. Well, good luck this year, man. Well, thank you, and good luck to you. Right, bye, guys. All right, bye.